Oscar Poker. Phil, we're going to go right into box office because that's the first thing we're going to hit. And, of course, the big news uh, is uh, that uh, Planet of the Apes held up but that um, in, in first place, but that the help uh, uh, did very well with uh, a total of something like 30-something. Why don't you take it from there? What, what basically happened this weekend? Yeah, uh, well, right now the help's at about $35.4 million, and that's, you know, that's the weekend and what it did on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, that's an excellent start. This you know, far exceeds expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because uh, $25 million was kind of the, what everybody thought it was going to do heading into the weekend. Mm-hmm. And for to see this kind of rush out for a movie that, you know, skews older is very reassuring. I, I really see, I really don't see how this movie can't hit, you know, $100 million domestically. Um, no. I think that's pretty much in the bag. No, I'm trying to figure out a, 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 a sentence in the uh, analysis by Variety's guy. It says that it got off to a strong, strong midweek start, uh, but most notably, he says, the pick managed to cross demographic lines by appealing to audience outside of the targeted core, which means uh, the, the uh, older females who've read the book. How do they know that from CinemaScore? How, do, how are they figuring this out, do you think? I oh, know that's, that's based on the, the information that Disney puts out. Um, and, and, yeah, I think what happened here was... Um, you know, a lot of guys got dragged to go to see the help. Mm-hmm. You know, because you also look at what happened to some of the other movies, like Final Destination Five and Thirty Minutes or Less. Mm-hmm. Those are, you know, two movies that um, are aimed primarily at males, and they didn't do that well. Um, Final Destination Five was only eighteen point four million, and Thirty Minutes or Less is kind of, you know, landed with a thud at thirteen million. Yeah. Um, so they got shipped away at a little bit, and then you also see the impact with Glee. Glee finished outside the top ten. It only made five point seven million. So it's it's quite clear that um, you know when when females uh, you know when women sat mm-hmm. down and said what are we going to go see this weekend? Right. It was the help, and, and that kind of had a ripple effect, you know, across the the other films. Did you happen to see it, Phil? No, I haven't. I'm going to catch up with it today. Um, I, it's it's interesting to see it today after all the debates that have been going on and everything, and and I'm you know. You know about the uh, the way the characters are portrayed and everything like that, and it's you know I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, it's an interesting film, it seems. Well, yeah. your 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 vocabulary is going to be in- expanded to include the term shit pie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait. I'll, I'll use it whenever, whenever possible. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's why people were kind of like going what when the Home Shopping Network did a promotion. 
uh, tied into the help. I think it's product, but also isn't it food products or something? It just seems that I would I wouldn't go go so far away from food products on this film. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because on the one hand, you have that literally a shit pie film. Mm. Um, <laughs> It sounds like he's, like, giving a review. You know, like, in Spinal Tap, they say, it was merely a two-word review, shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's in Spinal Tap. But um, but he's not saying shit pie as in, you know, it's a shit pie. Like, it's that bad. He's saying it as in, that's literally something that happens in the movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's literally yeah. something that happens in the movie. Uh, the same way that... Uh, that Morgan Freeman points out to Jack Nicholson that this wonderful coffee that he's been drinking is uh, tastes that way because of the uh, uh, excrement of some mountain lion or some some local animal that mm. is part of the coffee beans or something. Anyway, <laughs> tastes good because of the shit, in it. and that's basically the idea. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know if it, if yeah. I mean, it's it's horrifying to think of it that way, isn't it? To actually imagine the taste. <laughs> I mean, to me it is, but that's gross. Anyway, so yeah, so that's 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 I guess what what people take away from it more than anything else is that that image because it's such a strong image, I guess. You know. So, Phil, is there anything um, uh, unusual or significant? Do, do, was there an expectation that thirty? Uh, minutes or less would uh, do what closer to 20 or is that just was that a surprise that it only did 13 yeah i mean uh, i think the expectations were a bit higher on that and um it, it's another case i think of um you know just the, the fanboys you know males 18 to 25 kicking up a bunch of um you know activity online and everything and really chatting about a movie and then it opens and and you say well you know where did the audience go um but I think it it also has the potential to hang around a bit because it's, you know, it's not a movie that's um, has huge stars necessarily. I mean, Jesse Eisenberg, yeah, obviously very recognizable, but he's far from a you know draw on his own yet. And and same with Aziz Ansari and um, you know Danny McBride and, and Nick Swanson. So I don't think it's gonna you know fall off the face of the earth quite yet, but definitely an underwhelming start. I mean, it reminds me of kind of what happened to um, Scott Pilgrim. After after 30 minutes or less, uh, speaking as a completely typical average American uh, viewer, uh, I don't think I ever want to go to a comedy. I'll, I'll really, really uh, not be uh, very excited about going to a comedy with McBride in it ever again. I'm so over that guy and so sick of his shtick, the the low life, the the you know the crude kind of. Uh, ad, beastly animal guy who, who just doesn't have anything clever to say other than that I want my dick, I want my, you know, it's always on that level. It's a very, uh, it's kind of, you know, it's just like, can I get out of here? Do I have to hang with this guy? And there he is, and you're stuck with him. <laughs> I think the public agrees with you. I mean, he's just not catching on. I mean, look at how poorly your highness did. And, um, you know, that had James Franco and, and Natalie Portman to back him up. But I think people see I, his shtick is already... You know, past its expiration date. I think he's he's not going to be around in, in movies much longer. It seems um, people just aren't into it. I th I think it worked on. Um, it wasn't that bad on Eastbound and Down. I watched a couple episodes of that the HBO show he did because um, mm. it's thirty minutes at a time and it's not, you know, completely overwhelming. But for for the length of a film, it's it just drags. It's it's so one note. 
um, and he's already a parody of himself. So, we're getting a, a little whiff of what I'm starting to say when I watched him in Pineapple Express. I'll, I'll admit he was half intriguing, but just uh, this just this persistent low life uh, vibe I keep getting from him. It is simply not funny. It just really isn't, and I'm. Um, Really like it if if there is something going on other than he seems to be improving half of his material, if not most of it. Maybe maybe he is maybe he isn't, but it just doesn't have anything uh, that I want to hang with or be near. So, <laughs> anyway. hmm. we uh, uh, what's going to happen next uh, week, Felders? Uh, all I can see is um, um, what this is August nineteenth. It's Conan the, the Barbarian in three D. It, wow, this is a really weak um, uh, lineup here. One day, I guess that's the only the film, right? You know, the, the yeah, and I mean, look, you know, you have to think that expectations are, are pretty high for something like One Day because, again, you know, I, I've been saying this for, you know, most of the summer, but uh -huh. um, there, there's this kind of lack of films that are aimed at serious-minded adults, and the help comes along and, and totally kills it, you know? Um, or even something you can even point to, you know, uh, Midnight in Paris as an example, too. So there's there's a hunger for this because, you know, well, you guys see it. I mean, well, Jeff, you're you're going to see all this, this schlock every week. Yeah. You know, you get sick of it. You get sick of the car chases, the explosions, the aliens, everything like that. It just wears you down. And you want at least something in between all that to, to cut the monotony. Um, so yeah, I, I think one day I'll actually do do pretty well, and you know. It's, you're it's, you're assigning or you're saying that it's a um, uh, uh, adult, uh, uh, intriguing adult film because um, largely because uh, Lonnie Scherfig is the director, the director of um, an education. Uh, she's a very very smart and, and good director. So uh, you're assuming because her, she's at the helm of this, right? Yeah, I mean, I trust her. I'm sure, Jeff, you do too. I mean, you're yeah. really an education fan. I mean, to, to me, that's a good, you know, person to have behind something like this. But I mean, just the story—it's it's, you know—it's a perfect date night option, um, you know. And it's and it's something you know. I think they've also done an excellent job with the trailers because I mean, they show it. It doesn't come off entirely like you know. I hate to use this term. I hate it, but it doesn't come off entirely like a chick flick. I mean, you got. They put enough of the Jim Sturgis stuff in there, you know, where he's kind of this flash in the pan um, TV guy and, and hits rock bottom and everything like that, and he's he's womanizing a bit and everything, and yeah. you know that'll that'll rub some guys in, I think, too. Though they yeah, exactly. Like, big track to it. Yeah. I don't. I don't. What, what, can I ask something? This is going to be opening on um, the 19th, and the first screening that I have been told about uh, for me right now is on Tuesday morning at. The Clarity Room. That's unusual in and of itself. Uh, usually, they accommodate people by having an evening screening. Uh, there's a, the Bargo is for um, the the following day. Um, but it just seems like they're kind of holding back until the last minute to show it. Um, you don't think that means something? It could. I mean, yeah, I haven't heard anything about screenings in New York yet. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's not a good sign because. On paper, it kind of looks like a, a potential Oscar contender, and then even you know, based on the trailer a little bit, I thought 
you know, this this doesn't look half bad. It could. Uh, Phil, but. The, the key idea, you've, you've picked this up from the trailers. There's been at least two trailers that I've seen. And it's that they are probably the best couple that they could be if the, between the two of them. But they keep not uh, uh, acting on it. And uh, it takes them something like 15 years or oh, God. to figure out that they really ought to be a couple together. Oh, dear. That is just, I hate stories like that. I do, too. It's like, don't make us wait. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's that the idea that we see also in Stupid Crazy Love, which is there is that one person, that one soulmate that you really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With. You really Ru- should be. Ruining the lives of Americans is <laughs> this concept that they're foisting upon people, yeah. So I, 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 I understand, and, and I think we all love the idea of being a person, having being with a person that we're truly. Uh, feel that we've really found some kind of profound peace with, uh, but it's it's this idea that they're selling over and over again because it seems to work uh, with, I guess, with females of a certain age. I don't believe in soulmates. I believe in, you know, I mean, I, I love the idea of it, but I don't believe that it happens that often. It's just, you know, it's, it's nice if you can get somebody who's close to you and, and gets you, and vice versa. Right. I agree. I mean, I, it, but but nothing sells love and romance like movies. I mean, movies have done more to ruin um, marriage <laughs> in America. <laughs> this idea of romantic love for the rest of your life for 20, 30 years. Uh, yeah, cut to, you know, poor old husbands online, you know, and the wife is frustrated and they're depressed because they can't live up to this ideal. And, you know, maybe one in, in 20 actually do live happily ever after and are satisfied with each other, you know, but God, man, all those people in the greatest generation who had those wonderful marriages, they didn't have the internet, you know, they didn't have <laughs> constant communication. They didn't have Twitter, you know, it's like, the only thing that I don't understand. And I do, I don't know Lonnie Shervick, but I've spoken to her several times and I um, felt that the way she directed the education was like John Schlesinger in the mid sixties or something. It was really well directed. And uh, it wasn't sentimental. It was it was smart. I loved Italian for Beginners, which was the first. I did too. Movie. Yeah. So I don't know how she, she, this. I hate to say it, but it's it feels to me, given that they're showing it only very late in the game, and at, at a curious hour of 11 a.m., which again, it's weird. Um, I I just have a feeling that maybe this is kind of a payday movie that she just did the best she could with and um it's she didn't really develop material perhaps i bet it's what it is is it's too artsy fartsy for the kind of audience that they're hoping will buy tickets and i I bet you it's too esoteric and weird knowing her directing style and they they're going to have a hard time um satisfying people who are looking for you know nora efron kind of thing you know you think that she's made it, uh, elevated it? There, you're, I think she's probably made yeah a weird art movie, and it's not you know your typical romance. Uh, do you think there was anything remotely weird about an education? It was very straightforward. It just told the story. How no, was it was it? dissatisfying too. It was a weird. It was a weird movie. I mean, you know, it did have that that negative reaction. Unless we forget, it didn't win any Oscars. You know. Um, it, it had it left a bad I taste in people's mouths. That's why, who cares if it won Oscars tonight? It was a really. I, am, I know, well, I know, I know. I don't care that it won Oscars. I'm just saying that it didn't deliver on the promise of 
it makes it ties everything up into a neat little bow and it gives you what you want happily ever after you know no, it, it, it didn't do happily ever the happily ever after was that her character Carrie Mulligan's character was uh, wiser and had gotten through you know gotten past being uh, with a manipulator and a guy who lies and she at the very end uh, uh, learned that you kind of lie and manipulate your partner to make him or, or, or feel a little better about himself, you know, when she lies to the boyfriend and says she's never been to Paris, you know, it tells you that she got a little bit of... Uh, An education. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I know. I, I, and a weird education. I agree with you. That's why I liked the movie a lot. But I'm saying that it was just too, a little too weird for mainstreamers. And, and I'm guessing my instinct on this is that it's just a little too weird for mainstreamers and they're not going to know what to do with it. You know, but I could be wrong. I mean, I don't think I, it's hard for me to imagine Lone Scherfig making a Lonnie Scherfig making a movie that is mainstream palatable where romantic comedy. I mean, they're expecting like Jennifer Aniston, Catherine Heigl kind of crap, you know? So. Why do mainstreamers make movies, uh, like movies, or respond to movies that people of any discerning intelligence want to jump off a building after seeing? <laughs> That's what I want to do whenever I see a Catherine <laughs> Heigl or Jennifer Aniston or a Hudson movie. I know, I know, I agree. Well, I, you know, I think you also have to give you know the, the, the mainstream public a little more credit when it comes to romantic dramas. Um, I think you can get away with a little bit more than people think. It doesn't. Not everything has to be Catherine Heigl. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, look at Midnight in Paris. Yeah, that's right. I, I qualify that qualify that as in, in some ways romantic. And um, it's totally unconventional and, and out there, but they bought it. Um, and you know, with one day, yeah, it, it, it's probably going to have a, a schmaltzy, you know, happy ending. But you know, th I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you earn the happy ending and, it, and it's believable. Um, right. You know, and if anybody can pull it off, you know, hopefully it's uh, Lonnie. So. Yeah, I mean, that's we'll the thing. And at the end of the day, you know, movies for the most part present a lot a world that even in the going all the way back to the beginning of them you know even before the the kind of modern era but at, you know in, in many ways they they represent you know your ideal life or your your you know hour and a half of happiness your hour and a half where things work out you know where you know a guy loves you for the rest of your life and you know you make a lot of money or you in the town you rob a bank you get away with it you get the girl you know so um bless you yeah, sorry, I tried to... Life is awfully short, guys. You know, someone who takes 15 or 20 years to figure out that they want to be with somebody, you know, a tree could fall on you tomorrow. Uh, you know, you could be in a car, car wreck. You, know, you have to... You can't just sit there and go, hmm, I'm not sure, maybe. I'll think about it tomorrow, you know, or maybe next year we can get become boyfriend and girlfriend. I just despise that thinking. It's it's the thinking of a of an 18 or 19 or 20-year-old. You know, I've got all the time in the world to figure out who the right person is. I can, I can just, you know, figure it out thoroughly and then make my move. You know, that's not the, the way people who are 30 or 40 or older think about life, you know. Life is short, and, and, and if you don't know yourself at least a little bit and you can't figure out what's good for you and what you really, whom you really want, and you have to think about it for 15 years before you can... You know, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's if well, you're... I still get the impression that they're thinking about it. I mean, from the trailer, it looks like... He does, they don't pull the trigger, right? They don't actually become uh, a couple until... Well, I don't know what happens at the end, but I'm... Well, they're out there living their lives, though. You know, that's, that's what I got from the trailer. It's, and then they just, you know... Okay, it's fine. It's your life. But then yeah. the movie is obviously about coming together and finding and, and you know being happy in an emotional relationship way, right? Yeah. So that's what it's about. That's what the whole point is. One, there you see the poster. They're kissing. That's what it's supposed to be a romantic movie about about being happy through the finding of the coming together with someone who really is the right person for it. You know, I'm so sick of these kind of movies. I want to see a movie where everything everybody's doomed and everybody dies at the end. <laughs> That's like a happy ending. You want Roland Emmerich to do it? <laughs> I want to see it not work out. You know, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? It's like... <laughs> no, Roland me... Emmerich, as you guys know, has done a film called Anonymous. It's about uh, uh, exposing the Shakespeare fraud. Yeah. And, and it's set in the Elizabethan era. That should be interesting. I think that's mm. going to be at one of the festivals. But it'll be... Will people be able to accept that Roland Emmerich can... Uh, do something other than what he's generally known for, which are disaster movies. Yeah. I think it looks great. I mean, I don't understand all the... Because to me, he's always been a very good visual director. I mean, his stories are crap, but man, are they good to look at. Right. He's he's 100% my guilty pleasure director. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I think that one's... It, I'm intrigued by it. I mean, you know, at least give the guy some credit. If he wants to try to, to make a play at something more serious and, and everything like that, you know, don't knock him from the start. Um, he's obviously talented in, in some way. you see Independence Day, Phil? Yeah, I remember seeing that. Did yeah. you see the Mel Gibson Revolutionary War movie, The Patriot? Yeah, that one was terrible. Those are, those are not very good movies. Those are like exploitation movies with a very high-gloss sheen. They're not very complex. They're not very interesting psychologically. It's just, you know, it's an it's a audio uh, sort of visual response machine type movies. You know? hmm. Yeah, well, it's, it's the same thing, the same argument I make for, you know, Michael Bay, too. And, well, I, I, I'm not going to take credit for it. I mean, the others make it, too. I mean, Michael Bay is very good visually, same way Roland Emmerich is. If they had good stories behind them and, and good scripts and everything, you know, they could they could do some damage. And that's kind of right. I, I believe that if Michael Bay wanted to do something really uh, thoughtful and good, he could really knock it out of the park. I, I think that what I'm left with, though, and I think we're, we're all left, he doesn't want to do that. <laughs> he doesn't have the interest or the uh, desire, you know, to broaden his vistas, um, it, it appears. I mean, how many years is he going to wait? <laughs> Talk about waiting a long time to pull the trigger. If he's a good director, what, yeah. what, he's waiting until he's 60 to do that or well, something? Well, he tried. He tried with uh, Pearl Harper. He tried to do that kind of a movie, and he failed horribly. So I think he's gun-shy, and he's sticking to what he knows he can do well, you know? Um, that's my guess. Treacly and sentimental too. The two boys flying uh, a plane in, in in the American heartland at the beginning, and and you know two guys in love with the same girl, and you know and that wasn't very complex either. That was kind of a you know. Yeah, I know he is. He's got that side of him. I think he looks at Jim Cameron as his role model, and you know Jim Cameron um, has that incredibly sappy side, and. You know, he tells these stories, which are kind of, you know, kindergarten level intellectually, and uh, but they're visually absolutely stunning. Like Titanic is the only movie I can say it's like the best movie ever made and the worst movie ever made at the same time. You know, it competes for those two things. <laughs> the story is just awful. I think the relatively gripping 
uh, involving film because I believed in um, in the uh, poor uh, struggling artists uh, falling in love with the uh, the unhappy uh, woman of a higher social station. I, I thought that was okay. I thought yeah. I, I know it's just a, a construct, but I, I thought it was all right. I thought that Leonardo DiCaprio. They, sold. Well, they did. The, the actors totally sold it. You know, they did. And that's why it's such a good movie. It's just that every once in a while you're taken aback by how bad the dialogue is, you know, and how bad the characters are, like um, Billy Zane's character. <laughs> um, you know, and certain things she says, like, you unimaginable bastard. I mean, mm. it's like nobody would ever say that, you know. Uh-oh. Did Phil leave? Yeah, something just popped oh. up on my Skype. No, I, I was just, I'm trying not to interrupt. <laughs> and I'm just sending a note on Oh, there. it's okay. Um, you got to go, Phil? Yeah. Aww. Yeah, the international stuff's starting to come to so I have to that. Wait, wait, can we um, just talk really quickly about Planet of the Apes? We didn't do that. You just got of skimmed over it. So is it is oh, it yeah, a, sure. is it an amazing yeah. thing that it hit it's hit to hundred million in two weeks? And how is it That's, playing and how much more do you think it'll do? Um yeah, I mean it, it only fell fifty percent from its first weekend and that's a great hold for uh, you know, a summer blockbuster. I um, so yeah, that's that. You said one five percent? No, fifty. 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 Oh? That why is that a great hold? I mean, for most things that open number one in the summer, it's usually you'll see them drop 55, sometimes even 60%. You know, so. Phil, I, have a, I, have, I go back, uh, I've been lo- reading box office stuff. There was a time back in the 80s when I first started doing this, yeah. that if it like went down 25 or 30, that was considered a good hold. 50 was considered, uh-oh. You know, now you're saying 50 is not bad uh, or pretty Yeah, no, things have changed immensely. Since the 80s. I mean, it's it's everything's front loaded now. It's the uh, so you're saying there is no such thing as a hold of, or rather, a drop of only 25 or 30 anymore. Even with really popular films, you're saying that in the summer it just doesn't work that way. No, it, uh, yeah, it'll happen occasionally, and, and when it does happen, you know, you have a something huge on your hands. Um, you know, maybe something like Avatar or yeah, know, Titanic. They didn't drop like that. They they pretty yeah. much held. But it's rare. I mean. For, Par, you know, I, I'd say the average would probably be around 55% for a summer, or even more. I mean, you see something like, you know, Harry Potter that, that opens and sets the opening weekend record, and then it, it falls off a cliff inevitably because the studios, well, you, you guys know enough about the split in terms of, um, you know, how uh, exhibitors and, and the distribution side split the money, and uh, distribution gets more for the opening weekend, and then as you get deeper into it, exhibition gets more, so... Um, that, that's why studios create that opening weekend audience. Um, so yeah, I mean, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, they, I, I, you know, I think we're definitely going to see more of these films, which is is good because I enjoyed it and I was pleasantly surprised. And you know, I don't think I'm the only one there. Do um, Do we think it has any chance at all of um, Oscar Best Picture? I th- I'd be really surprised. Yeah, it's I don't. A genre think film. That. It's a it's a really good genre film. With the the action is with Andy Serkis. Either he gets nominated or he doesn't, or the uh, the SAG branch uh, cops out and says, "Well, let's give him a special award, so we don't have to uh, allow a performance catcher performance into the hallowed ground of you know of, of best supporting actor or best actor." Yeah, I don't think so. I think it has best picture heat, and I think if they had ten, it would definitely be a strong contender. It's just hard to imagine it as a number one pick. But I think that, um, look, District 9 was chosen for Best Picture, and it was kind of the same thing. And, you know, Star Wars and um, way back when, Towering Inferno. I mean, they don't always say no to genre movies. It, it can be sold if they believe in it enough. It's just that you're looking at that versus Harry Potter versus, you know, 
what other, you know, blockbuster might be considered. But what I'm wondering is if Planet of the Apes keeps making money, you know, the one thing it doesn't have is great reviews. That's uh, sort of what it needed, like a lot of 100 score reviews so that it's way pushed way up there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like District 9 had. So I guess you guys are right. Probably has no chance. <laughs> you think that Planet of the Apes got great reviews. It didn't. Yes, it did. It no, got four it out of five people were very, very high on it. There wasn't yeah. any. Okay. No, it got good reviews. It just from the critics, from the elite critics. <laughs> it didn't get. You look at the uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It did about an 80 or thereabouts. Yeah, I know. It should have been like in the 90s on Rotten Tomatoes, you know. Oh, I see. Got to be 90 plus. All right. Oh, yeah. Don't okay. you think, Phil? Hey, yeah, I mean, the reviews, it was kind of, mm. a lot of the ones I read were, you know, Wow, we're surprised by this. It's it's better than we expected, yeah. but that's far from a, a rave. You know, it's right. more like okay, this is a prime cut of. That's you know, not what people were saying, Phil. They were a lot of people were raving about it, saying this is an exceptionally good, very emotionally satisfying, uh, uh, you know, B genre movie. Not a B movie, but a genre movie that delivers good popcorn entertainment. This nobody was saying, yeah, not bad, pretty good, haha. They were, they were, they were. No, I, I think we're saying kind of the same thing because you you also include in there that. They're, they're saying that it's good for a, a B-grade movie. And that's a kind of... Um, that You can't call that a full-on rate because you're already lowering your standards a little bit. You're saying this is a B-movie, it's summer, fair. But it is. And, and I, it's like, you know, it's like a, a liberation movie. It's like Spartacus on some level. The, um, so, so there is a, a human current in there, and that's, in, in, you know, embodied in Andy Circus. So I, yeah, I think... I, oh, I agree. That'll be its kind of, you know... Pat on the back. I, I'd be really surprised if it was snug in that category. So, yeah, yeah. This so just came on Skype, Sasha. Our friend Tom Luddy of the Telluride Film. Tom, you know, one thing I just want to ask you about awareness because you're always checking Twitter and Facebook and everything. I have like, and I'm trying to like cover everything and be on everything at the same time. I have zero awareness, or for that matter, interest, frankly, in Colombiana, which is coming out August 26th. It's Zoe Zaldana as La Femme Nikita mm-hmm. in, uh, sure. in, in South America, basically. Um, do you have any awareness of this thing at all? I mean, I haven't even looked at the trailer for this thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's doing quite well on Facebook. We recently upped our prediction on it. Um, but it, it's not a high prediction. Um, or I think about like eight million opening weekend. I don't have the number in front of me right now. Eight. Um, yeah. Well, there... um, it's it's a crowded. It's opening during a crowded weekend. It's the. Um, wait, hold on a second. But nothing really that big is. You know, you, you, the, the the plot is. I mean, how can they make movies like this? I found Nikita in South America, and she's becomes a professional killer working for her uncle, focused on the ultimate goal of hunting down and getting revenge upon the mobster or mobsters responsible for her parents' death. You know, it's Bruce Wayne all over again. How can they do this? Because it's so boilerplate and so like, oh, God, we're going to do this again? And yes, yes, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going (laughs) to turn into. We're going to make this movie, and people are going to go see it because it's the same thing with a little bit of a, you know, twist. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's a safe option for you know people who like to go see women kick ass in movies. That's right. exactly what they're going for. But it is a crowded um, weekend because you have uh, right. already Brothers opening the Paul Rudd thing and um, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which is Film District's horror movie from um, well Del Toro produced 
produced that, I think, right? He did. I, I, yeah. I went. To, he was at the Los Angeles Film Festival uh, premiere, and um, I'll tell you, you know, he's a. I, I consider him to be a personal. Uh, you know, we don't hang or anything, so I'm not friends, but I, I feel he's a very close acquaintance. And I got to tell you, I don't think it was very good. Oh wow! Okay. It's just all right, you know, it, 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 but it's, it's just, you know, there's just have little monsters uh, terrorizing a family inside a house. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, it's based upon a, a, a film that was out in, what, the late 70s or early 80s. Uh, it's a remake of it, so I don't think it's very good. Mm, okay. That was generally the consensus. It, you know, it was just a kind of a shoulder shrugger. Um, oh, interesting. Uh, that's... Yeah, that confuses me because I don't think... forget, Phil. Make sure you see Brighton Rock when it opens on. Oh August. God, don't don't even go there. <laughs> no, it's terrible. Well, we're not allowed to say, are we? Well, I guess we should leave it alone. Yeah, but it's uh, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, it's pretty bad. <laughs> we're not allowed to say though. <laughs> it's oh dear, dear, dear. Right, well, thanks very much, man. Well, uh, thanks, uh, Phil. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Yes, we can. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. 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 So we're, um, 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 I mentioned Telluride, uh, uh, we are making uh, uh, history, uh, Sasha and I, by, by being, uh, going there for the first time. Uh, the both of us, we're going to share a car ride and the whole thing. And, um, and what are your thoughts about <laughs> I'm I'm sort of excited about it. Like you said, I think it really blows that we have to throw down 700 and something dollars for a pass. It's like we're giving them publicity. Mm -hmm. um, we should we should not have to pay that, but I understand that that uh, they need the money, and that if all the bloggers were getting in for free, they wouldn't make any money, and everybody'd be you know coming to their festival, seeing their movies, and not making a dime. So I understand that, but it still hurts to have to throw out that money. It does, but it does keep the pikers out, and it does uh, keep the. I'll tell you, this is the first time I will be at a festival where there are uh, new. Films, uh, the one, new big want to see films, uh, carefully chosen by people that with with taste. Uh, but there's gonna, I think there's gonna be something in the vicinity, if that, of 20 or 25 press people at this festival. So it's not gonna be, you're not gonna be proud of an army like you are. At, right. So. And one thing that we know about this is that Chris Tapley, who runs in contention has always been sort of the Telluride guy <laughs> for the last two years. He's like one of the only Oscar people who go goes there. And Thompson goes. Pete Hammond, does he go? I can't remember, but... Every time. He and uh, Madeline have gone under when she was uh, working for Variety, and uh, they, they pretty much are regulars. In fact, they take that really uh, uh, select, uh, exclusive flight that goes straight from Los Angeles to... Um, to Montrose, I think it is, and you know, they, it's a it's a really special plane that they all take. So, yeah, and Chris takes it too, I think. So it's he like does, it, oh, okay. It's like the movie star plane, right? The one yes. that like the movie stars are on. <laughs> it's like it's like grand, you know. Like yeah. Grand so what I'm hoping, I have high hopes that we'll be seeing a lot of the um, Toronto Oscar movies because you know um, both last year and the year before the Best Picture winner. Um, Actually, I don't know if it was the year before, but I know with Slumdog Millionaire and with, with The King's Speech, they both hit Toronto or Telluride first, mm -hmm. and then they went on to Toronto. So I'm hoping that by going to Telluride, that will save um, having to be at Toronto to see a lot of these movies. I'm sure we'll miss a couple, you know. Well, you won't, because you're going to Toronto, but 
Um, that's my hope with, with Telluride. And that's the only reason I'm going, because I can't go to Toronto. Yeah. Um, I don't know that they're going to... Uh, that I think it's, almost, it's a fairly certain thing that they're going to have the descendants there, the Alexander Payne, I've been told. But I don't know that... Uh, I know that... Um, that it's not at all certain that, uh, that uh, well, maybe Ides of March will be there, maybe. Um, but um, I think I it's a good it's a good place for a film to go if they want to stand out because if you if you go into Toronto, you're pretty much going to get buried um, in the news that's there, and you don't have people kind of grateful to be seeing your movie. Like last year, Chris Tapley got to see um, The Way Back at Toronto. I mean, mm-hmm. at Telluride. Yep. And if it had gone to Toronto, God, believe me, it would have gotten no press at all. Mm-hmm. But since it went to Telluride first, and it was the surprise screening, um, and they interviewed Peter Weir, it, it was big news. And everybody covered it. It was like the maximum publicity that that film could have gotten. Right. Um, but despite what Chris says, that it's a brilliant film, it is not a brilliant film. It's a weak film. And unfortunately... Even great publicity and great placement will only get you so far in the Oscar race if you don't have the goods, you know? I think that um, I always have to tell myself this whenever I'm uh, the first, among the first to, to see something. And that's you have to kind of take a couple of steps back and, and try and get rid of that factor, that emotional factor about how flattered mm-hmm. and excited you are to be. Uh, part of the first, the, the wave, the first 10, first 100 people, whatever, to right. see this thing. You feel like you're somehow part of it on some level. And you have to really step back and ask yourself, is this, you know, I don't want to, do I, do I want to convey that I feel grateful that they showed it to me and therefore I'm going to say I like it? You can, I don't think you can do that. That's not... Uh, well, I think we're, 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 we're such strange, influential creatures. Like, we like to think that we can be totally objective. We like to think that we know a good movie when we see one. We like to think that we have our wits about us when we go into the movies, but the fact is you're influenced by whether somebody broke up with you that day, um, whether you're in love, whether you're tired, um, and whether a publicist called you and said you're one of five people invited to the secret screening. I mean, you know, that does things to you. So Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you necessarily like the movie more? It's just like walking in when you're in love. It's the same kind of thing. You know, your mood changes, and it is impacted by Mm -hmm. the situation. I mean, I know that whenever I've been invited to early screenings, I can't think of a single one where I thought, oh, this movie sucks. But Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say anything because I'm so grateful that they showed it to me early, you know. In Mm -hmm. almost every case, I've loved the movie. So it was like Avatar and True Grit, um, those kind of things, Social Network. You know, seeing them early made me, um, I still love them. So I can't tell if, I mean, if I had seen The Way Back with Peter Weir as one of the first few people to see it, I don't know how I would have responded. I watched that movie. I could barely finish it. You know, I wanted to walk out three quarters of the way through. All I know is that at the very end, they finally get there. Most of them drop off. Oh, God. We we had the uh, advantage of having heard that... um, how many survive at the end? Three, five, four, something like that. Which ones are going to make it? So it becomes like, you know, um, you start guessing oh. who's, who's weak enough, who's not, who's not going to, um, you know, last. for the, No, the, I couldn't take it, man. It was like a school movie or a movie they'd watch, make you watch when they're trying to convert you to Christianity or something, you know. They starve you for four days and they make you watch the way back. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was a tough sell, man. But... Um, 
Well, let's just go down quickly what is likely to be there. I, I think uh, it's... I, yeah, I have I, no idea what they're going to show because obviously I've never been there, so I don't know how it all works. Well, my understanding is that the sentence is almost a, a certainty. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Only just finished shooting about three weeks ago, for, according to Sandra Bullock, so forget that. Uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, that's not going to happen. At this, uh, It's not that kind of movie. It's not a little movie enough, yeah. Well, I'm guessing... Carnage, I, I believe, probably will. That's, that's just a guess because it's going to be at the other, uh, and it's and it's uh, Sony Classics, and they always have a, like a, a little gathering there. I have a feeling that that's going to be one of them. Mm. Ides of March, I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of them. Um, uh, forget J. Edgar, forget Iron Lake, because Clint's not doing the yeah. festival circuit. Um, maybe uh, no, no, take it back. Not Moneyball. I was told in so many words that's not going there. The oh. Bennett Blair film. Uh, but I think Steve McQueen, most likely shame. Yeah, I would great. presume. Uh, obviously, forget War Horse and forget We Bought a Zoo. That's not going to. That's not going to show up. Why not? Why not? We bought a zoo. Well, I, I'm detecting that it's a uh, uh, a, a film that is more of a uh, kind of a mainstream family movie that has uh, um, uh, an emotional component that's. Uh, not necessarily something that syncs with a festival environment, maybe. Um, uh, I just, I know it's about, you know, just a family kind of uh, struggling along and, um, and, and uh, dealing with a, a death of a wife from cancer. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, there's something about a zoo uh, and, and uh, you know. I hope I, they bring it there. You know, there's going to be one big surprise. And so I just wonder what's that going to be, you know. Um. What's the big surprise going to be? I hope it's War Horse. Wouldn't that be so cool if it was? Do you think it's just too big of a movie to go there? I don't think that, that he would want to go there. I, I, I really would be surprised if they, if they took it there. Uh, maybe the Soderbergh film, conceivably, that's going to be in Venice. Um, Aren't they screening it now, Contagion? Well, I heard uh, they, they were screening me, it. They will be screening it this month. That doesn't leave a lot of time between now and the end of the month. But they told me they were going to, and that I would be able to see it. I thanked them uh, profusely for that because I wanted to get into it. Uh, maybe I'll tell you what's uh, likely is the Cronenberg uh, Dangerous Method. Oh, nice! I hope. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, that would be. I would very. I hear that's quite good too. So probably his best in a long time. So um, and then uh, I, I was told, forget it, uh, uh, Pete believes that Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is not going to be there. It seems to me that you would want some... See, I have this... Uh, I'm in this curious position, uh, not a wise position, but I... Uh, but Focus is such a secretive uh, operation. It's all about trepidation and, and oh, I don't know if we want to do this. They're kind of fearful. Uh, example, case in point, was their handling of The American, which is a pretty uh, okay film, very quiet rather somber but it was a an artful film it was not you know just selling popcorn it was it had something i'm not saying it was a great film but i thought it was a pretty good one and mm. i was uh, content with it they did not let anybody see that film until the very last minute uh the last week and um they wouldn't bring over the director for interviews uh they just completely you know so they're an odd odd bunch and they're going to uh uh, I'm told that they won't bring Tinker Taylor's Soldiers by, and they have already said no to Toronto. And we're going to hear from the New York Film Festival uh, for its final announcements uh, sometime Monday, Tuesday, possibly Wednesday, mm. this coming week. 
Yeah. Uh, maybe they'll announce that it will show there. But if not, if they do not show it at either Telluride or New York, I have probably recklessly, certainly recklessly, uh, uh, and probably foolishly uh, pledged to fly to England. To <laughs> <Jeff>. <laughs> Because you know my my big slogan, you know they can they can run but they can't hide, you know. So, mm. but, but so what? I mean, they're gonna it's gonna be reviewed out of the Venice Film Festival. So what am I gonna prove by going to um, to to London and paying twelve hundred dollars all in to see a movie? Uh, it's silly. So I'm just hoping that they'll. Hey man, if you can do it, do it. What's the harm? If I had made the money you make every year, I'd be over there so fast. Just for fun. I don't even care to see that movie, to tell you the truth. But to fly to London, if I was Jeff Wells, <laughs> I would so do that. Graceful. You can't. Life is too out. short to not fly to London to see a movie. <laughs> Look at our time is ticking down, Jeff. We have a finite number of years left. Uh-huh. And you have all this money to spend. <laughs> I would so go and I would stay in a really nice hotel room and I would go get tea and I would have a wonderful evening in London and I'd go see this movie and I'd fly back home and I'd say I had a really great 24 hours 48 hours you know what well, the hell? I, I will do it I, I, if I have to but, it, uh, but my general thing is that I'm like Cary Grant I'm like anybody that has if you have any, any kind of uh, income that you're content with uh, the idea is to act like a miser. The idea is to always uh, uh, try and get out of uh, paying for anything. Uh, never, I never stay in hotels personally. I always stay in B in B and Bs or, or or sublets. We have Craigslist. Uh, you know, I'm just like that. I'm cheap. So. Yeah, I know. But look, you're not getting any younger. Time is ticking down. Hmm. You have a finite number of years left, and all this money is spent. <laughs> just think, I could die tomorrow. You know, what's money for? It's like ultimately life is, is meaningless, but, you know, you, you get these opportunities and how can you pass them by? You're laying on your deathbed. Maybe you have Alzheimer's. Maybe you're like sick with a terminal disease and you think, God, you know, I, I really should have taken that time and flown to London. Exactly. It's the things that you're going to feel badly about at the end of your life are not the mistakes, but the things you didn't do. Absolutely. They, you know, they interviewed these nurse, these, these uh, deathbed nurses who, who were on people's deathbed. And they did like the top five things, regrets people had in life. Mm-hmm. And the number one thing was um, I lived my life according to someone else's idea of how I should have lived it. And I didn't do the things I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just got the one life. You don't have a chance to do it over. You're not going to be young forever. Mm-hmm. You know, walking around with your two legs and your brain and everything. Right. No cancer-free body. You know. Mm-hmm. Hell, fly to London. What's it going to hurt? Jesus, I, I spent over five grand going to Cannes. You know? It's like, talk about a waste of money. My electric bill is $700. <laughs> it's like, I mean, if you look at how money is spent, you know, how it's wasted, and then you think of doing something like that. And I'm not even saying Tinker Taylor is worth the trip. I'm just saying the trip is worth the trip. Oh, I get your point. I get your point. Yeah. How, how do you get an electric bill for seven hundred? Because <laughs> my apartment is upstairs, and it's like a greenhouse. It's got, like, windows on the right, windows on the left, and it's really hot, and it, it hot boxes. And so I have to run the air conditioning at all times. Mm-hmm. And it's drafty, and it's built in the 40s, so it doesn't, it doesn't cool off really easily. 
So um, I'm running the air conditioning all the time. It's it's seven hundred dollars, by the way, for like two two three months. It's not seven hundred for one month. Okay. I'm just saying total. It's seven hundred. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm just I'm just looking at the way money is spent. You know, you always spend it on the things you have to spend it on, but you so rarely spend it on the things you want to spend it on. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely hear you. I'm, um, but it's still um, the, the the cheapskate thing is um, is uh, will always kick in, uh, and I um, um, and I I would like to avoid the. Uh, this will be if I have to go to England to make good on my pledge to go there. I'll have to do it right in the middle of the weekend that when I return from Toronto, I have to go right back down from Toronto right to England and then back because the following week uh, is the. New York uh, Film Festival press screenings, they begin. And I'm very much looking forward to, to that uh, atmosphere. So you're definitely going to the New York Film Festival? Yes, that is a definite thing. I'm going to uh, flop with uh, my son, Jet, in Brooklyn and um, uh, just do the usual, usual and see um, uh, everything that they have there, including um, <clears throat> the centerpiece film, which is uh, my date, my week with Marilyn, and the opener, which is... Um, why did I... So if I called them and I said, I want to go see my week with Marilyn and can I fly to New York and see it, do you think I could get like a pass to see it or do you think I have to have had credentials and all that? Uh, well, you have to kind of, uh, you, could, you could find a way to get a ticket for it. By the way, I, I don't know that I would fly in for a, my week with Marilyn from what I'm hearing. I'm not Uh-oh. hearing it's a great film from anybody. What I'm here. What I had heard was that it was really worth it for um, Kenneth Branagh's performance as Laurence Olivier. A guy, however, just uh, wrote on the column uh, the, uh, the reader response thing is that it's uh, uh, he's not. He feels that exceptional, and the movie is just all right. It's just pretty good. It's not bad. It's uh, it's it's nothing to get too uh, cranked up about. So. Hmm. Well, I know. There were some other movies that were playing there that sounded good, though, right? Not just My Week with Marilyn. Um, There's Carnage. That is, the op- that is, I believe, the opener. The- Carnage. So, And this is after Telluride. Yeah. Because so Telluride's my- coming right up. Yeah. Oh, God. It's about no- mid-November, I believe. And I'm hoping, uh, at least during that New York period, I'm hoping that they'll show the George Harrison documentary because that was supposed to be at Toronto and they're not showing it there. Then I was told that they're having conversations, so maybe that'll be one of the announcements. Uh, so, yeah. So what do you think Telluride's going to be like? Where do you think we'll be sleeping? <laughs> got a big loft bed at a big house that's been there forever, and it's um, uh, we're just guests of... Uh, of, of Glenn and his, and more particularly his dad, and his dad has been living there for, for a long time. And his dad is like, okay, no problem, just uh, shack up during the film festival. And well, that's what Glenn says. I haven't spoken to his dad, but that's just that's what Glenn says. And so, so we're bringing sleeping bags, right, in case we have to just kind of flop on the floor, which would be fine with me, by the way. I am going to bring one just in case. You never know. Can't hurt. You know, right. just, just tuck it up in a tight little bag. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just, just in case, you never know. So. Right. There might not be enough blankets for everybody. I'm not going to assume that they're going. I'm not looking there, looking for a hotel experience. I just am very, very grateful for the, uh, for the hospitality and for the offer that Glenn offered. So, and it's very close, by the way. It's only about two blocks north of Main Street, and it's um, 
I'm really looking forward to the whole uh, uh, <clears throat> the air. Clean the, air, beautiful mountains, altitude. Yeah, that's going to be wonderful. And so we're not going to have altitude problems because we're driving in, right? I believe that's a good, a solid point. I don't see how we, if you're gradually exposed to it, uh, yard by yard, uh, you know, mile by mile, I don't see how it can possibly be a problem. So. Okay, road trip. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. So um, I saw, oh, and I can't talk about it because I'm embargoed, but I saw um, I saw Puncture with Chris Evans as a heroin-addicted um, lawyer who takes on a pharmaceutical company okay. that's trying to block the sale of retractable single-use needles. Okay. So I'm not allowed to say anything about it, but... Is he pretty good? Does he... I, I thought it was a really good movie. <laughs> I know I'm breaking an embargo. Yikes. I'm not supposed to, but I'll just say that's all I'm going to say. Is that I, I think embargoes it's... are all about we don't want you to trash it if you don't like it. They... I know, but I asked, I told them that I liked it, and I said, can I talk about it? And they said, no, we got to wait till September 19th, which is such a long time, you know. And there's already this review hanging out there that Gabe from the playlist did. Okay. And it's a bad review. So if I were the publicist, I'd want to open it up so people could put out good reviews, you know. But... Chris Evans, who who I think did himself very proud by uh, in Captain America, you say he is a he delivers a good performance here. He's a good yeah, he's a good actor. He's a really good actor. I, I can't say anything more about the movie. All I did wanted to tell you was that it's it's good. Okay. Yeah. Good. Looking forward. Um, and then main the main reason for that, of course, is that they they bring to light a really horrifying idea about. Um, this really powerful pharmaceutical company and the way things work in this country. It's so gross how hospitals won't, um, the hospitals wouldn't agree to use the single-use needles because they were contracted by this other really powerful company. Mm -hmm. And so all these people got sick from stuck needles and and needles that couldn't be um, sterilized. And Uh it's a true story. So like people dying of AIDS and, and they're still dying in Africa. They finally got through to to people now hospitals are using those needles but in africa they're not they're still using the the non-sterilized kind so it's a scandal a horrible awful scandal that needs to be exposed and so that's why i'm glad the movie's coming out i hope it gets good reviews i hope i hope critics have their head in the right place when they're reviewing it you know how people are when they are told that this is a movie about some scandalous uh psychopathic move by big pharma or by corporations you know they 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 kind of go okay it, this is important but uh you know what's in it for me That's there the is no but if they're you know responsible citizens and they are thinking with their brains they will give it you know a much more strong consideration what it's trying to say you know and what kind of message it's trying to get across as opposed to okay. is chris evans going to get an oscar nomination you know we should uh, briefly talk, by the way, um, uh, before we shut down, is uh, the uh, astonishing, uh, uh, you know, causing many ripples in the, in the film industry, a shutdown of a huge Jerry Bruckheimer film mm. called which is uh, with Johnny Depp as Tonto and Army Hammer from the Social Network as the Lone Ranger. And it's a, uh, the, the thing that I was able to, uh, I, I initially responded to the, to the news about this, which is a couple of nights ago, <clears throat> in Michael Fleming's column in the Deadline, was how can a they shut it down because of cost because it's going to cost way too much. Uh, they were estimating that it would 
you know, they would going to cost maybe 250 and someone else was saying no that's not true it's actually 220 something or 230 something not quite 250 but even 200 which is what disney wanted how does a western about a, guy, a couple guys on horses and you know the usual usual how does that be, get to be 200 million yeah so i said that makes no sense that's crazy even with uh, ridiculous salaries you can't have a movie cost that much and so something's going on they they're they're doing Big CGs, big big effects. Something is going on now. They're they, are they moving cattle, eighty thousand steers. You know, so uh, what happened is that somebody sent me a script, and I and I realized that it's a werewolf movie. Ah. Uh, which is, uh, you know, it's basically the lone. It's a ranger, werewolf with western. The Lone Ranger meets the Wolfman. That's essentially the the thing. You're talking about a. Uh, it's about Indian spirituality and kind of, uh, and that's what. Johnny Depp's thing is he's Tonto, the the he's like Obi Wan Kenobi. He's the guy who who's sort of the conduit, uh, the the window into the realm of Indian mysticism and spirituality. And this Wolfman is some kind of metaphor for uh, Indians striking back at the white man, something like that. Hmm. But it's um, that's what's going on, and it's it is about uh, howling wolves and and uh, guys getting torn up and throats being slashed. And that's the CG thing. That's why it got driven into the 200 million range. It might still work. It might, they might get it down somehow, but uh, supposedly um, the, the director, uh, Gore Verbinski, didn't want to do that, and uh, they, they, they felt they had to put their foot down, so they shut it down. Wow. I think it's a smart move. Do you think it had anything to do with the fact that Cowboys and Aliens bombed? Or do you think it's, uh, it's something totally unrelated to what's going on in the in the culture right now in terms of sort of audiences shutting down on these kind of dumb movies. <laughs> uh, you are exactly right. That's what uh, Steve Gatos at Variety said immediately. Uh, and uh, that's, and I'll quote you something from the thing I wrote, which is uh, this guy telling me that this was never going to be a semi-traditional Western. It was never going to be Zorro. It was going to be a Tonto show. Tonto uh, and the Indian spirits, and the driving engine was going to be Native American, occult aspects worked in with werewolves and special effects, et cetera, et cetera, but flavored with Native American spirituality. But then Cowboys and Aliens came along and tanked. And Oh, Dis- God, that was just a lucky guess on my part. I didn't even read your thing. Disney got cold, tender feet, spooked mm. by the idea of another pricey mashup. Yeah. If Cowboys and Aliens had made $200 million, this wouldn't be happening. Right, absolutely true. A Bruckheimer-style Western, totally pirates, except it's, you know, cowboys. Uh, A a Bruckheimer-style Western in the wake of Cowboys and Aliens is nothing anyone is feeling secure about at this stage. Trust me, the writers of tentpole garbage are all scared now. Interesting. Wow, no kidding. They're they're also very impressed, and and they, they would love to make movies... As, as I would if I were in a tech. I would love to make Planet of the Apes movies that that was not cheap, but compared to $200 million for this thing, uh, you know, they want to make movies that don't cost ridiculous amounts of money, but can really, really, uh, you know, connect. Of course, that's the eternal uh, challenge in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, they always feel that they have to spend the money and, uh, you know, and invest and get the insurance so that at least they don't get blamed if they have big stars and big elements um so it's yeah well what they do is they <clears throat> they shortchange the story the reason that avatar and the planet of the apes and uh have you know did so well was because they had such a good story such believable characters it didn't 
the story didn't depend on the CGI, but the CGI en- enhanced the story. And so you have two reasons to see it. One is for the special effects, which are incredible. And two is because it's a good story and a good movie and you care about the characters, you know. I don't yeah. think I would want to spend $200 million on a movie that didn't have that kind of story backing it up. And I knew people were going to respond to it. And, and we should say that, that I don't th- we, nobody seems to think that Fox knew what they had with Planet of the Apes. Like, it was sort of accidental. Like, they thought it wasn't going to fly. Or else they would have been showing it earlier, right? So it's sort of like nobody knows anything. Well, that's... Um, I mean, are you, yeah. It's a curious thing, I believe. That, um, and I, uh, they say it was, they did not show Planet of the Apes. Um, is that what you're asking about? Why yeah. they did wait I, so I mean, long? Well, no, what I'm saying is the reason they pulled the plug on, on the Lone Ranger was because I think they just didn't have a strong enough story. They have all these special effects, but the story was lacking. And you really need that. But then I thought I was uh, adding to that that we nobody really thinks that Fox knew what they had with Planet of the Apes. They didn't necessarily know it was a really good movie that way. Mm. You know, they thought it was interesting, you know, B-movie kind of with really great special effects, but I don't think they counted on people really responding to the characters the way they did. Okay. And I think that's what you need now to have a huge hit. You need both. You need the good story and you need the sure. good special effects. Or you need to be part of a franchise... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I, I just looking forward. Are you gonna um, are you gonna try and see this movie one day on Tuesday? Well, I haven't been invited to it. If I get invited, I might go. But um, eleven a.m. Eleven a.m. Tuesday. Yeah, that would be perfect for me. You know, early morning screenings are always better. Yeah. Oh, wait, maybe I did get an invite for it. Yeah, I might have. It came a while ago. Yeah. I remember the 11 a.m. part. <laughs> Does uh, your daughter have any interest in going to Spy Kids all the time in the world with Smellorama or Roma Rama? Oh, God. Is that Robert Rodriguez? That's That poor bastard, man. It's like free. We should sell T-shirts. Free Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> he needs to be freed. And has built his own jail, and he lives in it, you know, and he's got the key. He can get out anytime he wants. He doesn't want to leave. Because he's a genre filmmaker who just bank cranks it out and makes movies that, you know, he wants to make popular. He's going to do another um, Sin City, which is... With uh, with his wife. What do you mean? His old wife or his, new, or the, his ex-wife? Or, or Oh, didn't he marry Rose McGowan? I thought he did. Okay. I didn't realize that they had actually tied the knot. If they did, I'm sorry. I no, I don't know if they did either. I don't know. I haven't checked, but I assumed that they had. I, I think I remember that they did. Um, yeah, except for he's kind of fucked his whole life up with that. Um, he's, a, he's a fellow who likes to have uh, somebody who's really watching over him. And he's, I've been told me he's a... Really liked uh, the the dynamic he had with his first wife, and um, you know a lot of fellows uh, tumble for the uh, for the hotter option sometimes. And I think he, I heard he really had a bit of a breakdown when she uh, Elizabeth Cantillon is that her? Uh, what's her last name? No, I can't remember. I shouldn't yeah, say. Yeah, no, me either. Um, do we want to talk at all about? Uh, anyway, I don't think she's married to him. I don't think they're married. Do we want to talk at all about? Uh, uh, the the help we didn't get to talk, get into it with Phil very much except for the whole shit pie. <laughs> but do you do you feel like talking about it or do you think it's sort of all talked out? I just don't think it's a dreadful film. I I don't understand people saying it's absolutely uh, 
Manolo Darga said it was um, glazed hokum, you know. Um, it's a calculating white person's movie meant to uh, elicit feelings of sympathy and compassion for uh, women who worked, African-American women who worked as maids in that time period in Jackson, Mississippi, the early 60s. Uh, I know that it's very, um, it's very calculated and it, it doesn't feel entirely right because there's something about, we've talked about this before, about the instigator, the person that kind of helps their situation by uh, illuminating it, by writing about it, is played by Emma Stone. And uh, there's something about, you know, a movie made by white people about a white person mm -hmm. uh, developing or advancing a situation that ultimately results in a, in a benefit for, for, for people of color. So. Yeah. My problem with it is that, yes, I agree with everything people said. I agree with what, you know, the, the, fe the, the black feminists have been saying about it. I agree with all that. But I don't think necessarily that that means the movie shouldn't have been made. And I don't think that means that you should punish Viola Davis and Octavia Spencer, that they should have to carry on their backs this burden. You know, haven't they been through enough? It's like it's hard enough for white women over 40 to get roles. It's, you know, doubly hard for black actresses. And, you know, yeah, it's not PC. No, it's not perfect. Well, you know what? Neither is every single Michael Bay movie that comes out. You know, most Hollywood movies are not PC. Most of them, you know, are very insulting to women. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't see why when a black movie comes along that... And I understand that it's a much weightier subject, you know, Jim Crow and all that. I totally get it. I do. I just don't necessarily think that that means it should be silenced. Um, I don't think anybody is going to say no to those two uh, getting some sort of, uh, you know, awards or nomination recognition. I don't I, I would be shocked if anybody said they don't believe they don't deserve it because they do deserve it. And I, I think we, we both know that particularly given the popularity of this film and the way it's probably going to go on to 100 or thereabouts is is ensure that there will be in that uh, category there because um, people will want to in some way applaud or, or, or give a pat on the back to this movie for being popular and connecting with people. Absolutely. The thing about it is it's a winning movie. I mean, yes, if you, if you sit there and you scrutinize it and you say, what's wrong with this, you can do that. But if you let yourself go and you, you follow it, I mean, you will be moved by it. You know, it's, it's impossible not to be. You know, there wasn't a dry eye in the house when I saw it, you know, and even I cried at the end. It's like there's just something about it that, you know, you can't help. You, you know, I think what it is is that the actors really sell their other than Bryce Dallas Howard, who I could have done without her entire performance, <laughs> really. And, and other than the fact that none of the men are in it showing to be mean and the fact that they did blot out this notion of the help as being the sex slave of the white guy, which is was so prevalent. In Jackson, Mississippi, and these women are are not depicted that way at all. They're depicted just as mammies and nannies, and they're not shown as kind of um, playthings that they were. If they had just given one tiny nod to that, I would have been happy because that would have just been more realistic, you know. Um, they were like the backdoor girl for a lot of the husbands, you know, but they just didn't go there with this. Didn't go there at all. Yeah. No, it's totally tame sexually. You know what? But that would have been. Now that you mentioned this, that would have been actually kind of fascinating. Yeah. It would have been, you know what? I, I would have liked this movie. Here's here's my idea. There's another maid, whom is having it off with the husband of one of the wives. Yeah. Kind like of Emma Stone's nanny, for instance. And here's the interesting thing. It's a. 
they both are into it. But the husband's into it. He's not just like selfishly satisfying himself. They're in love with each other, like with Thomas Have a Jefferson. Have for each other, yeah. And the and the, the the and the the maid who's you know arguably probably being exploited. The guy's not really, but he did, he does care for her, and she's into her, and and it totally would add something else than just you know a bad white racist wives. Yeah. Noble, uh, uh, you know. Absolutely, showing both sides of it, showing the, the guy who just takes advantage and sexually exploits, and showing how real relationships can be developed and how children were born. Mm-hmm. Lest we forget that these white guys were getting a lot of maids knocked up, and a lot of out of wedlock babies were being born, and they'd just be sent away with no explanation because they got pregnant, you know. Right. Um, and that part of it is totally quieted, and I think that's the fault of the author of the book, you know, who I think is at fault for a lot of the problems with the story. I don't think you can blame the filmmakers, you know, and I don't think it was any of their intention to make a movie that was insulting to black people. In fact, the opposite, you know. But this, this reminds me, by the way, that when I, that scenario, uh, I was actually borrowing that from a uh, French film that I think is about 10, 12 years old, maybe a little bit more. And it's uh, Gerard Depardieu and Carol Bouquet, I believe, are the married couple. She's very pretty. I think it's Carol Bouquet. Um, this isn't too beautiful for you, is it? No. Uh, maybe, uh, because he falls in love with a maid and she's not as pretty or as hot as... as and she kind of overweight? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's too beautiful for you. Yeah. And I always thought that that would... That I really thought that was moving because, you know, it wasn't some fantasy fuck for the guy. He, for whatever reason, really, really cared for the for the... For the for the maid that they were working with, and he... Uh, well, that's Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, you know, he, he was in love with her. She was like, he had many kids with her, you know. She was right. like the love of his life, even though he was married. And think of the dynamic of, of, a, of a woman like Bryce Dallas Howard or even, even Skeeter's mom and the jealousy they would feel about a pretty maid mm-hmm. um, and their husbands, you know. It just, to me, it was like such an, an untapped... Right. element and dynamic of what was going on at the time with women. I mean, you can't tell a story about black women and not cover that. It was so much a part of what was going on then. I thought, by the way, that you would respond to what Tom O'Neill told me and kind of convinced me. My first reaction to the award thing was um, that I thought that <clears throat> the the sentiment seemed to be, the, the views seemed to be that between Octavia Spencer and Viola Davis, that Viola Davis is the stronger of the two and that she was the more likely award recipient if it works out that way. For And I thought that the smart move would be that I would not want to, as you mentioned yourself, uh, 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 have her be in contention as best actress against uh, Glenn Close and um, in uh, um, um, Albert Knobs or uh, Meryl Streep conceivably. In, right. Uh, yeah, as uh, Margaret Thatcher, which you know is going to be one of the nominees. And I would think the smart thing is have her win the Best Supporting Actress in, and have, and that'll be a better thing for the movie. And Tom convinced me, nope, uh, number one, they're going to want to separate the two because they have better a better shot uh, if with them running in different categories. And But more fundamentally, and I didn't uh, really know this. He's a New York uh, you know, theater guy, so he knows about this. But he mentioned that uh, that you know, she won a Tony Award for Best Actress uh, in um, Fences, the Broadway show with uh, Denzel, and it's the same role 
that uh, actress, uh, African-American actress Mary Alice won Best Featured Actress uh, Tony for way back in 87. Mm. They went to the Tony committee and they said, well, this is we're, we want you to rethink this because we do not see this as a featured actor. That means basically Best Supporting. Uh, we see this as a Best Actress role. And the committee went for it and they nominated, um, and that was... Believe me, that Viola Davis uh, saying, "I don't want to be a featured actor. I want to be best actress," and they 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 got the Tony committee to go along with it, and uh, they did change their minds, and she did win. So she got a best actress out. So I don't think she feels that she's reached that stage where she's not a supporting actress, as Tom put it. She's not going to be at the back of the bus anymore. So he doesn't think that she's going to accept a supporting run. So even though she, the likelihood of her winning is not as high. In, mm -hmm up against Streep and Close, uh, they're going to do it anyway. What do you I, think I of can't, that? Uh, I can't argue with Tom about stuff like that because I don't, I don't really know how these stupid Academy thinks. I know that a lot of times they'll put them in any category they damn well p please and that it doesn't matter what the studio wants or the actor wants. If they think it's lead, they'll put it lead. If they think it's supporting, they... What it does sort of um, bring up is sometimes it could be category confusion and, and they don't know what category to put them in, so they end up not getting nominated at all. I could see that happening. Um, if it were me, I, I don't see her performance as a leading role. I see it as a supporting role. Like the, To me, that's just the way it is, unfortunately. Skeeter is the star of that movie. The movie's about her. It's her coming of age. Nothing happens to Viola Davis in the end. She has no character arc. I mean, I guess she says at the end, I, I never thought that I'd turn out to be the writer, you know? But you're, as an audience member, you're not go, you're going. She's not the writer, you know. She was, she was. Uh, Skeeter was the writer. Skeeter's the one who goes on to have a career in New York, you know. And and uh, Viola Davis just has to stay home, stay back and be a maid, forever. Skeeter you know? wants to. Skeeter wants to not leave uh, at the very end, if you recall, and says that I don't feel I should, like, run off to New York after you guys have been so uh, helpful and you know we're kind of a team. We did. This I know. I didn't like that though. I didn't like that because the first they say she says. I can't leave you, Mama, because you're sick. And she says, of course you can. Go off to New York and have you. And then the maids say, and she says to the maids, I can't leave you here. <clears throat> I can't leave you here after this, you know. And, and they say, of course you can. <laughs> go, go have your career. You know, it's like I understand that they needed to address that because it does make you think, God, you know, she stirs up all this, you know, all this um, uh, controversy in her hometown. And then she just goes off and becomes a publisher and doesn't even work for civil rights or anything, you know. It was just a career move. But, I mean, this is the stuff you think after the fact. While you're watching it, you're kind of with the characters the whole way and rooting for them. And, you know, I just don't see how Viola Davis's character has a very good future after that. There's a, uh, an, a respondent on the HE thread about uh, Tom O'Neill's uh, viewpoint, and his name is Jay Smack. He says, Jesus, I get so sick of movies like this. Somebody explained this to me. Why is it that every time a black person plays some subservient or stereotypical role in a movie, it instantly becomes Oscar-worthy. The more defamatory the role is to uh, you know, black people's image in today's context, the more likely you are to get an Oscar. In other words, the more they're dealing with... Yeah, like Training Day and Precious, yeah. Mm. So don't deny it, Jeff. You know it's true. It's, be it's because whites have a kinky need to see racist crap about blacks on screen, and if you're a filmmaker bold enough to give it to them, They'll praise you, stuff your pockets with cash, run interference for you on all fronts. Wow. Interesting. Mm. Brilliant, brilliant comment there. Mm. I love it when somebody really smart kind of shines through. 
Um, yeah. Okay. So he got us. He's right. It's a white world. The academy is is uh, I'm going to say 85 percent white, mm -hmm. uh, male. You know, upper middle class, pampered rich people, and mm -hmm. you know what do they know? They're the ones with the black maids. <laughs> but I mean. You know, maybe it's kind of so unfair. The academy is 5% white male and upper class. Most I, of the people are not um, rich in the academy, you're saying? Or not no, well, they are. They are. They're upper middle class. It's 85% white, you right. know, and probably male. The thing is, is um, you know, it's, it's almost all male. There are a few women and a few minorities in there. But the demographics look very much like America. You know, there's a reason why they don't put black women on the cover of Vogue, because they won't sell the magazines, you know. Um, and it's sadly a white world. And The Blind Side made a huge amount of money. And that is the perfect movie for what this person is talking about. And this, The Help, is exactly like that. It's just like The Blind Side. It's a step up, I think, because the writing's better and the acting's better. Um, but it's, it's still right in that line of, you know, um, there are nice black people and there are bad black people. We like the nice black people. See, we do all these nice things for them because they're so nice to us. You know, they love us. They raise us. You know, That's they funny. cook us good fried chicken. <laughs> Isn't there a line in the help about how fried chicken makes you feel good about life? Makes you feel, <laughs> you put a smile on your face or something? Yeah, I mean, it's it is kind of gross how they fall. It falls so in line with black stereotypes. But you know, there are stereotypes for a reason. You know, I mean, this is our impression of how black people in Jackson, Mississippi were in the 60s, you know, this is the only picture of them that we get, you know, how great would it have been if this had been a black person's story, a story told from a maid, not a story told from a girl imagining what a maid would say, you know, Sure. Yeah. Um, the writer of this book is very much one of these women, mm. you know, and, and they're unreliable when it comes to how the Skeeter's only looking at her own experience. Oh, I lost my nanny. You know, she's not looking at it from the nanny's perspective. Right. Yeah. So I'm being too hard on it. I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think that, that anybody anybody in the movie should pay. I certainly don't think the Oscars are the place to settle that debate. And I think the Oscars are as sleazy as you can get. And I don't think that they should be held up to any sort of high standard in terms of political correctness. They're about rewarding performance and good movies. And so if so people love the movie, they should nominate it, you know. Do you believe then that the uh, most of the people in the Screen Actors Guild are going to uh, feel as you do, which is that as good as Fiona Davis is, her role simply, when you get right down to it, really isn't a lead role? Do you feel that that's going to be the prevailing view, or do you think they'll go along with uh, Best Actress as a kind of... I don't know. I think that um, it just depends on how the studio sells it. What I'm seeing is a lot of Emma Stone. Emma Stone on the cover of Vanity Fair, you know, not... Viola Davis. And so when you see that, you think, okay, she's the lead. You know, she's getting the star treatment. She's not, it's not Viola Davis who is. She's getting the supporting treatment. And I don't agree with Tom in terms of back of the bus because Meryl Streep isn't too good to, play, to get in supporting category. And she's uh. Meryl Streep, you know? <laughs> she's not always happy to be lead. And so I don't think it necessarily means that you're a lesser actor because you're put in the supporting category. To me, it means you're a supporting player in the story, which she obviously is a supporting player. But um, I don't know what the SAG is going to do. You know, a lot of Viola Davis, the one thing she's got going for her is she's made a lot of movies and she has a lot of friends. So they'll do whatever she wants them to do, probably. Mm. Okay. 
Depends on if she wants to win or if she wants to up her status in the tribe. And if she wants to be a more important actress, she'll care more about a Best Actress nomination. There have been very few black Best Actress nominees. They're mostly stuffed into supporting. Tom's right about that. Um, mm -hmm. And before Halle Berry, no black actress had ever even won lead actress. Mm -hmm. So um, and that is a scandal in and of itself. So you want to tell me about a racist Hollywood and a racist Academy? Look at how long it took for them to give a black woman best actress. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, I'd, I'd love to see Viola Davis win something. I think she's a great actress. I do too, and I don't think you know. Unfortunately, she's going to go up against Glenn Close, who is really, really overdue. You know, and Glenn Close, this is going to be her year if that movie's good. You know, Meryl Streep's not going to win again. Well, uh Tom's view is that I don't that they don't really care about the winning. It's the running. It's the being in the best actress status. That's what she cares about. She doesn't want to be sporting any longer. There's a certain association or, 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 or you know, whatever you want to call it. it. It means on some level to Viola Davis, it means uh, not in the top tier. And she wants to be that best actress person rather yeah. than a supporting person. Well, I understand that. More power to her. Whatever she wants is fine with me. I'm just, if it were me, I'd want that Oscar on my shelf, I think. Mm. She's going to get plenty more nominations. She's sure. going to be in a movie where she's the lead. Yeah, you know, I, I would want to win. That would be my viewpoint. Me too. She, I want to win an Oscar, and I would not care if I was in lead or supporting. And right. I, I would look at it like, I'm young. I'm going to get way more lead nominations than this. If I win an Oscar, that's a really big deal. Monique has won an Oscar and Viola Davis hasn't. So, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a break. Monique never Jennifer done. Hudson, an American Idol, has won an Oscar and Viola Davis hasn't. I mean, that's horrifying, isn't it? An American Idol won an Oscar. Right. Let that sink in for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude, I got to go. Got to go pick up Emma. She's done with her sleepover. Really lovely talking to you. I'm glad. Nice talking to you. People. Nice microphones, and we sound great, and we'll uh, yeah. do it again, uh, obviously next week. Sounds good. All right, take care. Okay, bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com, and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast. And the bumper music for today was Sheila and a Gig by PJ Harvey and Mississippi by Bob Dylan, the bootleg version. And we will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Your days are numbered, so are mine. Time is piling up. We struggle and we scrape. All boxed in, nowhere to escape. City's just a jungle, more games to play. We're trapped in the heart of it, trying to get away. I was raised in the country, been working in the town. Been in trouble since I set my suitcase down. Ain't got nothing for you, had nothing before. Don't even have anything for myself anymore Sky's full of fire and the pain is pouring down There's nothing you can sell me, I'll see you around My powers of expression and thoughts so sublime They'll never do you justice 